Welcome to Seize the GM. I'm your host, Zended. I am your co-host, Jules. And I'm Garda Moje. Have you ever had a great idea for a campaign? Do you have a group of friends who want to play an RPG, but you have no one to run it? Do you want to see what the world is like behind the GM screen instead of in front of it? Well, we're here to help you do just that. Each week, the three of us will be discussing various GMing topics, terminology, maps, atmosphere, world building, you name it. So sit back and relax. Let us help you. Improve your art of GMing. One show at a time. Welcome back to another episode of Seize the GM. Thank you for joining us. And we're taking another look this time at how adventures can be built or structured and kind of what terms can mean for you and what they're best used for. Yeah, pretty much. So this is going to be fun, guys. <laughs> it's going to be something. We uh, promise not to get into too much of a knockdown drag out fight or disagreement between some of us. <coughs> Zen. Um, so stay tuned. Okay. Oh, so, let's just put it this way. If a fight comes out, I get to start laughing. So, okay. That sounds totally reasonable. Okay. So there are for a lot of, there's a lot of terms that get thrown around when you start actually talking about designing adventures in games. Now, the big one that we're actually going to be talking about tonight is sandbox adventures versus structured adventures. All right. Now, and they, I'll put this up for anyone. If you've played video games, you have your sandbox games, you know, like, you know, Assassin's Creed, but then you have your more linear kind of drain, like think Bioshock. So, you know, it just as a reference that they, they yeah. do come up not just in tabletop gaming, but they're also in video games. So you, yeah. they're not just separate. You can draw upon your experiences from both guys. It's helpful. It's true. Um, now, it, go ahead. Well, one of the short ways to kind of think about those, the way you know Jules kind of mentioned, sandbox adventures are more or less plopping your characters down in the middle of a large sandbox that you as the GM have populated with various moving parts, booby traps, sand pits, and raiders, and seeing what they do in whatever order they want, while structured adventures have a clear you know, well, structure call to adventure, target or mm. objective and and ways that they can measure success yeah it's yeah. it's kind of like you know yeah you, if you're hunting for a treasure the only way you get to the end is when you find the treasure you know how sometimes you get there you might not you know follow the map correctly somebody put the map upside down but you still have to go a path to find the treasure but if you're in a sandbox you might find the treasure but that wasn't your original goal yeah the way i like to think about a sandbox adventure is that kind of the way Gardemanger said, you you drop everybody down in the middle of wherever it is. And there could be, you know, they could be first 
for for like level based games. It could be first level characters, and you drop them in a place where, in theory, because the world is populated in such a way, there could be an encounter for like ninth or tenth level characters, mm-hmm. all in that area. And if they come across it, there's nothing wrong with running. Yeah, <laughs> not they everything actually- is meant to be interacted with actually if, if anyone's ever played boulder the the very like the first boulders gate game with all the expansions one of the neat things is like you could you, you d- and that's pretty much more of a, a where it has it, it's sand it's very sandboxy but you still have an end goal because if you had it with all the dlc there were certain places you'd go into as like you know f- i much love and then you're looking at this things like that's 15th level thing ah and then you get to the next ring yeah. and you hope Minx doesn't die because Minx is awesome. But that's, that's kind of the, the goal of a sandbox game is to kind of, you know, yeah, it, let them, let them go where they want to. And what strikes their fancy. And because... there's consequences and they have, and the one thing you do have to let the players know is that, Depending on where they go, there will be consequences and you're not going to, you know, smoosh down like, you know, an elder great worm. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yes, I have done that. And I had them eat them and the dragon was like, ah, that was an appetizer. Yeah. So. So we talked a little bit about sandbox because that's one that gets tossed around. I've noticed a bit and it is in recent years, it seems to be a thing that has kind of jumped more to the forefront in adventure design. The, the one thing is also is the world that you put them in. It's like the world is completely flat. And then you put the characters in and it kind of like warps the world. If you want to think, you know, like, like, like stretching a rubber band or something, you know, and sometimes it just might be a little bit and it's fine. And the thing is the world will react depending on what the players kind of want to do. So it's kind of like the world is reactionary to the players. But if you've got more of an adventure kind of based design, if you think about it, it's the players that become more of the reactionary based on the plot elements of the story that you want to be in. At least. Yeah, they, they definitely can. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, well, it, it really does because the kind of bad stereotype a structured adventure has is the, the railroading adventure. And that's, a structured adventure, but it's badly designed. And and you shouldn't let the idea that the players only have one way to get from A to B and one structure in yeah. front of them. And that's, you know, that's the mistake of sandbox adventures or of structured adventures done poorly. Mm-hmm. Sandbox adventures done poorly uh, are... They miss everything. <laughs> well, and the DM is so overly disinvolved or disengaged because they want to let the players do whatever they want in the sandbox that they don't provide any kind of motivation, any kind of praxis, any kind of movement 
for the players to be involved with and instead just kind of take a back seat in, in what I think of as a very unpleasant way. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's kind of a way it, it, the, the thing is though, as a GM, you are the one still running the game. So if you are, the thing is like, if you're expecting that it's like, you're the one that's describing the world. You're the one that's, you know, all that wonderful stuff. But if you're not giving the players anything to do, you're not giving them plot. I mean, like you, they have a sandbox. They can play with whatever the heck they want. They could, you know, throw all the sand out of the sandbox. You know, they could shove it up their nose. Who knows? But if you're not, if you're just pointing it at them and you're not even giving them like the, the fun stuff to play with, you know, you have to kind of at least give them, give them toys that they want to play with, that they want to get into. And well, for the the narrative driven, for the more story driven, um, you do have to make sure that one, you are not the, this is the only way to go, except for, you know, puzzles and traps, you know, because you know, you're allowed to. But the thing is, if they come up with a creative solution that you didn't think of, let them go. You know, if, if it logically makes sense, that's the, what there's the railroad problem where you get with, you know, and then you, because like there's only one way in one way. It's just like, but if they think a really cool way around it, let them. Yeah. Well, and we talked about this a lot in kind of the GM centric and player centric episodes. And yeah. I think that a sandbox adventure is really well suited to a GM centric design because it lets the GM put all the pieces in play and lets them have the world in motion that the players will interact with. Conversely, that, I like that is that is exactly the point I was going to make is that the GM is really a driving force in a sandbox because you can have them where all that they do is they plop them down and they go, so what are you going to do? And that's yeah. the entirety of the of yeah, what a they couple episodes ago. Like, you can't do that. You have yeah, like to we had a couple months ago because we had the yes and, the yes or, the no but, you know, th those kind of questions. And those are actually, uh, heck, it doesn't even matter which. And that's the one thing that's because those questions work good in any system. Yes. You know, but remember, you, the thing is, like, you can't just put them in there. They're not, it's not an ant farm. Your players aren't ants. You can't just look at them and watch. You kind of have to go, it's like, you know, I hate to say it. You have to shake the ant farm a little bit to see if they do anything. Well, and conversely, structured adventures make it really simple for a good GM to have a player-centric story. Knowing what your players are wanting to do, it's easy to have in kind of that episodic, that serial nature, things that tie into it. When they decide to start chasing something and making something matter, it's easy to make the next adventure revolve around that. It's exactly. easy to take the cues, yeah, and, and focus the players and mm -hmm. focus the story on things, which is what a structured adventure does, is focuses it on a particular goal or, or technique. Exactly, exactly. Now, here's, here's one of the things. I always said one of the benefits of running a structured adventure is this thing that we like to call time. Because you can prepare the parts that you need for the session that you're getting ready to run. You don't have to have all the moving bits figured out you just have to have the things that you kind of know that they're going to interact with and, and 
Yeah, I know. I hate to say it because we all know this. Players will sometimes blow everything up. Keep a couple things in your back pocket for, okay, I wasn't thinking of that. Yes. Every, <laughs> every game, every GM should have a few of those in their back pocket. Even in a sandbox, you should still have those. Those are just kind of a tool that every GM should have is, is that little like weird thing that you can just toss out there on the table at a moment's notice because you need to have it now. Well, I think that's a great discussion for a future topic about a million bajillion ninjas. I always keep that in my back pocket and I threaten my players with it is like, you know, I've, <laughs> I've run an adventure. I titled the night of a thousand thousand ninjas and had a specific number of ninja that, that, available for that but again i think how you handle that's a great thing we should look at but what i want to know from each of you and jules i'll start with you what's your favorite feature of a sandbox hmm well for me it it, all right as everyone knows i like to run horror and sandboxes are really really good sometimes for letting you know, the player is like, they want to explore the, that mystery. Something's not quite right. We want to figure it out. You know, the, the, it's kind of a cool thing that mis- that uh, mystery and, and kind of investigation hasn't with horror because they want to know what the doodad is going on. But the nice thing I can do is, is like, because it's sandboxy and stuff like that, it's the, I don't have to, the, I only warn them if they want to be warned. So I can scare the crap out of them with the big bad monster showing up in the first scene if they go the wrong way. And then they have to run and then think around it. It, it allows for, you know, every, in, in your standard kind of thing, you think, oh, a little monster, little monster. They, sometimes people think horror is a dungeon crawl with a creep vibe. You know, with the, with like squiggly and squishy and scary. It's just like, no, sometimes it's you lose. You know, and that can, and I love that because I don't have to actually plan them. Do, say, if they find it, awesome. If they don't, okay. It's a lot of pressure less on me. So, you know, that's the one thing I do like with the sandboxing. It allows for, you know, it's like, I already know what's in there. And like, okay, go. And then it's like, okay, they open the door and like, hi, you're in closet land. You weren't supposed to be here. <laughs> All right. What do you do now? And it's terrifying because it's their own choices they made. I didn't tell them to do a darn thing. And Zen, what's your favorite aspect of a sandbox? Okay. So sandboxes are, for me, I, I really enjoy running a lot of things just off the cuff. And uh, with a sandbox, I can have like, you know, three or four kind of key points on like let's say a map and whatever else there is i can play around with those and i can just do whatever i want with them because those four points are wherever as far as i'm concerned they don't have like a definite anchor point it gives me a lot of uh, fluidity in how I run. So I don't have to have a lot of, I don't have to have a ton of moving parts in a sandbox game because I can have like six things, four, four or six things or whatever 
that are like my anchor points. And then the rest of it is kind of like if I need to just put something somewhere because I feel like it needs to be there, I can just do it. Whereas with some other types of games, I don't feel like you have as much with the more different types of adventures. I mean, you don't have as much flexibility and yeah, I, I really thrive in a more fluid environment for running games anyway. What about you? Well, I mean, I think for me, you both know me well enough and listeners, if you've stuck around at all, you know that I tend to be a big lore monkey. And so I will delve into all sorts of fun combinations of of obscure factoids. And so for me, the sandbox is where the creativity can most come out. And I have the least amount of really limitations on, on putting things in place. And then you know, sitting back and watching the Rube Goldberg machine kind of unwind once a player accidentally trips over a stone. Uh, that's, I, I think, the most fun for me is watching what happens once a player starts interacting with this, this structure, which segues into returning to the question of what you like most about a structured adventure situation. And we'll reverse it back to Zen. Okay, so... So there's a thing if you if you're designing adventures structured adventures are very easy because you can do you know like a dungeon is a perfect example of a structured flowchart if you really think about it every room is just another node on the flowchart to get from point A to point B. Now, what that does is if you run the same type, like you run the same adventure a few times because you're running something that's published that generally uses a structured format, you start to learn how to really get the nuances of particular encounters so that you can actually bring a game that feels very sandbox, but be completely structured. Because if you've done it or you've you've read over it enough times, even your own notes, you can make that feel very fluid and very open to a lot of suggestion in how it's played, which is probably one of the, one of an, one of those interesting things about a structured adventure that you can pull off if you spent enough time really looking at the bits and how they work. So that's it. Jules. Mm. Oh, (laughs) all right. I guess for me, this is going to sound kind of weird, but what the thing I like about structured is it allows me to have, like I said, as everyone knows, like I said, horror is my jam. We all know the the tension curve, what makes good horror of, of the tension and release, tension and release, tension and release. You know, it's like, okay, there's a, okay, and they open the door and there's nothing there and they're getting more and more tense. And then all of a sudden, big, mon- there's a monster and spooky and ah, scary. And the tension is released. That's the one thing I do like about structured is it allows me to control a lot better 
that tension and release cycle that is extremely necessary. It's, it's actually pretty good in adventure too. That that you know that the we. If, if you've all seen the, the, the Star Wars kind of curve where it's just like, okay, you know, meets Obi-Wan, he goes back home, he, you know, comes back, you know, that, that whole up and down, up and down thing. And for me, that allows me to help tell a really, really good story. And it allows me to hit those beats a lot they in a way that they make kind of a little bit more sense. Uh, whereas like where they're running around, it's like, okay, it's all on them for me for this though. It's like, yeah, it's all on me to, to build that experience, but I get a lot more control over, okay, how much it's like, okay, can I push a little bit further? Should I give them that scare and let them relax or, um, and the thing is that with the, with those specific beats, if they're also kind of getting into a place, you know, um, We've all been like the the place of no return where they completely screwed something up. It allows you can kind of see it coming in advance that it's like, okay, um, well, if they do this, they'll completely bore like because, you know, it's just like, okay, you smash something and that was like a super important key thing, you know. So, yeah, it'll it'll give you a little bit more control over the complete derail. And it'll also allow you to buy time. So if they do end up derailing it, you can go somewhere else. You can see things coming, you know, and it gives you a little bit more time to plan rather than just the, okay, I wasn't expecting that. And, you know, there was no guesswork, I guess. So how about you, dude? Well, I think sandboxes are you know, the play toy for my creativity where all the sandcastles get made. The structured adventures create a real ability to solve problems. Uh, I I believe that limitations breed creativity and limitations breed uh, more interesting and innovative results. And so structured adventures with their limitations, I think create in players a, a wider range of success factors, a wider way to succeed than they may have originally uh, considered on their sheet. Oh, nice. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, interesting. Hmm. Thoughtful. Now I am thinking. And now (laughs) I have a headache, and I hate you both for it. That's part of what I'm good for. But if you're listening along, then... Tell us what you prefer. Do you like to play or run one over the other? Do you have a preferred setting for either? Let us know on Facebook, our Facebook group, Twitter, Instagram. Join our Discord server. Find us on Patreon. Buy Zen a coffee. All of the fun things linked to in the doodly-doo and on SeizeTheGM.com. Yes. And actually, one thing, if you guys found a way, it's just like, say you started off in a sandbox and then... The way your players were playing made it feel like they wanted, they said sandbox and wanted a, a a structured narrative, structured game. How are you able to, if you guys have stories of how you were able to take a, a narrative and make it more sandboxy or vice versa, how did you do it? How were you able to tell? What were your keys? So, you know, anything that, you know, shared knowledge that makes us all more awesome GMs. And let's just put it this way. The more people that run awesome games, you know, that makes make everything more awesome so share it with us yeah it does it does help 
And yeah, you can you can find us on all of those social media platforms. All of the platforms. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, there may Discord. still Yep, Discord. There may still be a Tumblr. I, I don't know. I'm never actually on that. Twitter. One there, but I, I keep tweet at, I, tweet at us. I, I am being told that Zen is considering making a TikTok. So if you think Zen should make a TikTok, <laughs> now is the time to let us know so that we can have him do it. I don't hey. I don't know about TikTok. Oh heck, we could all at least do TikToks of us smashing our dice when they'd roll another one for the umpteenth time. Well, that I might do. Yeah. <laughs> TikTok of dice destruction. Yes. <laughs> uh, but let us go ahead and you know we have we have scratched this surface, but there is a lot more that we can talk about. But for right now, we're going to go ahead and roll on into our next segment. And now we enter Stat Blocks. This is a segment where you can use something that we've created in your game tonight. All right. So... I have been doing these for the last two weeks, and I'm the only one that's done them. Please tell me that someone else brought something. I did. I did. And I'm trying to help jumpstart getting the card catalogs going again. So, yes, my Ooh. stat block tonight could play into a forthcoming card catalog. <laughs> you first, then. You go first, then, buddy. I did one too. I did one too, but you go okay. first. <laughs> Very well. The legendary Antillian Taurus. It is both unassuming and intensely powerful. The sheer amount of focus this simple Taurus demands is uncanny. Large enough that it could be worn like a bracelet by all but the largest or maybe the smallest of, of humans, the Taurus thought lost to the hidden Atlantic Isle of Antilia rests before you. An artifact of a bygone era, or so it should be, considering where it is said to have been found. The reddish metal, though, seems perfect and unblemished. It took so long to find even a hint that it existed. Now, coming face to ring with it seems overwhelming. Drawing closer, you hear what you think is a slight hum. Your blood stirs. Glory and renown await. You reach out, impelled by some unseen force or impulse. The Taurus is warm to the touch as you lift it, and your eyes go wide. Ooh. Interesting. Spooky. I like it. Fun. I think so. It's one piece of a larger puzzle, you could say. Okay. All right. I like. Okay, I'm going to go next, though. Steel Point. The town of Steel Point is a dark version of what you expect from a western expansion town. The main road through town is a dusty straight line. There's a massive coffin maker in town. Most of the buildings are shoddy and run down. 
But the saloon and gambling hall, well, <laughs> that is a massive, clean, and new-looking building. The girls and guys hanging from the railing, calling out to passerbys, are barely clothed. The clap of two gunshots ring out from a side street. And then a wounded man crawls out from the alley, followed by a woman with a gunslinger rig on and a smoking pistol in hand. Then as she walks by, she puts a single shot in his head. As you walk by the dying man, you notice not a single drop of blood. There is a spray of wires in the two holes in the machine. After a few seconds, a hologram reworks into a different character in the city. He sits up, dusting himself off, and stumbles back toward the saloon. Once again, he disappears through the doors and the illusion of what he has become. It's the new reality. Welcome to the town of Steel Point, a haven for those who want to live in an illusion of what the old West was like, but with modern conveniences to keep things from becoming too real. Damn. Damn, dude. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I've been thinking about uh, a thing. And, uh, yeah, it's it's shown up now. Also, if you are following at all on the uh, Facebook group, you will know that there's a poll that's currently out. And that poll might have driven some of this. Okay. <laughs> we'll leave it at that. Go find hey. the Facebook group. Join it. <laughs> Vote in the polls. Make Zen dance. <laughs> you actually. Pop it. So. <laughs> All right, Jules, what do you got? Oh, damn it. I hate going last because my I ugh, I just just a letdown all the listeners. I am sorry, people in advance. <clears throat> all right, the Devil's Train screams. A pitched whistle pierces the moonless night, and you fight your instinct to run. The ground rumbles. Stones pop like water on a hot skillet, and then you see it first: the gray steam plume. Tortured faces camouflaged within the undulating gray clouds. Then the red headlight. However, it doesn't seem like a normal light with a red filter. You know those. You get an uneasy feeling. Has the headlight devoured every color aside from red and black? You're unsure. You now make out the shape of the engine. And you know now that it's too late to run. The wheels whine and strain as the metal behemoth comes to a stop. Heat radiance, radiates from every inch, but the environment doesn't seem to be affected at all. The air feels dry and your eyes itch. Dust, steam, and debris whirl around you. You feel phantom sensations all over. Scratches, caresses, pinches, and jabs. You shake your head for a second to focus. Then you lay your eyes on the conductor, sharply dressed, eerily clean. The soot seems to land on him and get absorbed by the black void of his coat. He doffs his cap with a slight bow and gestures to a placard riveted to the side of the engine. All you want in life for the price of your soul. All the money you can fold, the power that you can hold. I'll put you in control. Only if you're down to roll down these train tracks tonight. When you finish reading, you hear a voice in your left ear and in your head simultaneously. Where are we going to go? 
<laughs> that is fun. <laughs> yeah, I was listening to the lab rats earlier. I'm like, okay, yeah, that I gotta turn the 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 devil's train into a stat block. <laughs> like the actual train. That's cool. <laughs> so I like it. Thank you. So as we've been doing lately, we have included underneath each of our stat blocks, there is a how to use the stat block in a game or in, you know, so it's, it's various points that you can use, how to incorporate those. If you don't already have an idea from listening to them. So FYI, disclaimer, disclaimer, disclaimer. I am not meaning for my train to actually be used as an actual railroad device. Please don't use it like that. (laughs) (laughs) But why not? Because we're usually a try to be better than just the railroadie, but if they want to ride on the railroad, that's fine. <laughs> okay. It's your choice, isn't it? It truly is your choice. <laughs> well, let's go ahead and uh, flip on into our next segment. Lexicon, where we give you cool words to help improve your vocabulary. Okay. Are we ready? Yep. Here's open. <laughs> Here's open. Dude, I could have a brain fart. I don't know. Yeah, we'll wait for this word. Ataxia. Ooh, twitchings. Uh, th- I don't know if you did that on purpose, but you do know I suffer from that. Uh-huh. I don't, oh, it was not on purpose, but... Okay, okay. It was, it was one of those that... It it was I went through like several other words and I'm like, oh, I don't like that one. I don't like that one. I don't like that one. This one came up. I'm like, I like this one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, all right, if you like this one, then I am forgiven if I accidentally punch you in the face. Yeah. Okay. So then we're cool. <laughs> it is a noun. And the definition is an Ill- inability to coordinate voluntary muscular movements that is symptomatic of some central nervous system disorders and injuries. And not due to muscle weakness. Mm-hmm. That's the that's the one. I guess that's also the one drawback, right? <laughs> yeah, <you just> <laughs> I still have all the muscular yeah. strength. <laughs> yeah. So well, uh, it's really neat because it also it, it, it's it's neat in that it can also affect um, balance, proprioception, and not just that movement and so the coordination component in the the anyway sorry i'm getting into some neuropsych stuff that that is fascinating this is fun and it's neat and if you're doing a futuristic sci-fi kind of setting this could actually come up and help people you know yeah it's kind of cool dude really neat ways to use this and that was one of the reasons why i wanted to pick something that was something different but something that's relatable so now the history and etymology of this word is it's borrowed from greek which ataxia is lack of discipline disorder confusion and that comes from a which means entry and taxia which is drawing up in rank and file or order of battle so it's it's kind of a entry point into 
you know, drawing that up. And so it's it's the weird way that Greek works to make the word do the the uh, definition that it comes up with. So its first known use is seventeen or sixteen seventy, and its lookup popularity is in the bottom four percent of words. So that is our uh, our lexicon. So, uh, spooky words for creepy, spooky kind of. Ugh. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and that's that's one of the fun things. Like, there's a lot of other words that you can use for, you know, this. So you know, oh, myoclonic jerks sounds a lot more clinical than ataxia. Ataxia, you can see in. You could see that. Here's the thing. You could see that in a dossier. You could see that in a medical report. You could have it as, you know, uh, my clinic jerk sense is a lot more clinical. Yeah. You know, because there's better words for it, and but it's kind of cool. Yeah. So. All right, folks. But with that, it is about time to find some time to play your own games instead of just listening to us go on and on this time. So. As we kind of head out of the show, I know for me, I, I've always loved actual physical writing and having paper and pens and especially pencils. And to me, there, there's something magical, almost lyrical about the sound of a sharp pencil scratching across good paper. And so if you find yourself writing on paper again, which I hope you are, Go old school with a pencil, and in the doodly-doo, I've got a link to Musgrave Wooden Pencils, in particular the Tennessee Red. It's a beautiful cedar wooden pencil, and if you buy the set there, you get a cedar box to keep them in, and then you can just buy refills later. They're a little more expensive than your corner store pencils, but if you're going to write something you care about, I recommend having a writing implement you care about as well. Nice. Nice. Gosh darn it. <laughs> I just have to I might get one of those just you know just for note taking if I have to like scratch pad but just because I love cedar and they smell so good I know They're, I love cedars cedars is oh American made wood pencils with like little deformities and imperfections on some of them and they're not always perfectly center and yeah <laughs> Yeah, I, I, it's lost on me. Yeah, but for me, I got I have very calming memories of the scent of cedar. So I, sure. yeah, it awesome. is awesome. <laughs> so and, what you got? Oh, I hate you so very, very much. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. <clears throat> um, and uh, Gardemanger, I am blaming you for this entirely. Um, I'm sure most of people out there know the. Uh, the YouTube show Binging with Babish. Okay, where he takes <laughs> awesome, awesome recipes and from shows that you like and shows you how to make them. Now, I'm sure you all know Binging with Babish, but the one thing I want you to do, especially if you can do this safely, is find a recipe on from a show that you like that 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 Babish shows you how to do with that's you know within your capabilities because not everyone has like a candy thermometer I know I don't but find something you've always wanted to try and make it you know it's it 
And if you it, once you learn how to master it, you have another recipe under your belt. So what I want you to do is, you know, it's like I'm a big fan of Elton Brown. I love binging with Babish. And for me, though, because it combines stuff that I liked, like science or, you know, that's how that's the reason I, I've memorized the cookie recipe. So I want what I want you to do is find a recipe of something you've always wanted to make. And get the ingredients safely as you can. Like if you're doing your the weekly grocery run while we're all being, you know, good in quarantine. But when you do your weekly run, just add those couple extra ingredients. Because it'll help you. And I'll be honest, I angry GM when I am hungry. And I start making plans to kill my PCs because I want everything to end so I can eat. You don't want to do that. <laughs> so fine, you know, I'll be honest. I have mastered. Not as good as my grandma, but I have mastered the meatball, where they are mm. still juicy and delicious afterwards. Okay. okay. So that's what I want you all to do. All right. So I, <laughs> I'm going to say this with the caveat of they are not sponsoring us in any capacity. But... Sennheiser headsets. I know it's a weird thing, but I love music and I love podcasts. And I have had my pair of Sennheisers that I am wearing right now for a decade, at least. I have never had to replace a single thing on them. I take very good care of my headphones. Because I use them for recording and other things as well. But I can replace everything on them for about what a new pair that you can't buy anymore cost. But if you... I, I actually just got a brand new pair. This is why I know the cost of replacing most of the wearable parts on this. Because I'm going to give a decade-old pair of headphones to my daughter. Because they will survive another decade with her using them. So a single set of headphones that lasts for 20 years. I love them they sound great they're sturdy they are just phenomenal headphones now they can get really pricey i actually looked at a pair today that were twenty five hundred dollars i'm not suggesting you buy those they have other ones and they are really good and if you get the chance, and they're within your price range for something that's expendable like a pair of headphones, seriously consider it because they will be a set of headphones that will last you for a decade or more. So. Yeah, I guess if you're going to invest in something, invest in something you will use for a very, very, very long time, right? Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, I paid... $40 for these over a decade ago. So I can replace all of the foam bits for 
Spiff. So, I mean, the cord I have to buy. And that's like I'm buying all of my parts out of China because they don't, it doesn't matter. They just have to fit these. And I'm giving it to my daughter because the the actual like speaker portion is still original and has no problems. And I've never had a problem with them. And I've used them a ton. I mean, these are the ones that I use for everything with my with all the shows that I've done. And just for listening to music, I will put it on just in my laptop and listen to it. So, yeah, they are worth every penny. Because if you think about it, if they lasted for a decade and I paid 40 you paid like $2 a year <laughs> for a pair of headphones. Slick. So, it's worth the investment if you can do it. But yeah, check them out. They're still shipping and you don't have to get them through Amazon and that you can directly order them from their warehouses. And they're not being delayed in any capacity. Unlike if you order something through Amazon during the quarantine right now. Because it's considered non-essential. So, but yeah, if you want to go out and do it. Uh, so until next time, guys. It has been a blast. Look forward to hearing your gaming stories and, and suggestions, recommendations uh, on social media. So don't be afraid to message us on Facebook or Twitter. Email us if you feel like it. We always love hearing from you. You can find all that at SeizeTheGM.com. So get out there. Get either in the middle of a sandbox or get started on some kind of a structured path and roll some dice. Have some fun. You can contact us or the show using Twitter, Facebook, or plain old email. Our Twitter accounts are at Zendead, at Jules Podcaster, and at 2050GardeMoget. And the show's Twitter account is at SeizeTheGM. You can find us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash SeizeTheGM. Or chat with us and other RPG lovers in our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Seize the GM. You can email questions or comments to the show at admin at seizethegm.com. And if you have a few bills you want to send us, you can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash podcast. And we thank you. joining us for this episode of Seize the GM. Feel free to leave a comment about this episode on our webpage, www.seizethegm.com. Let the dice fall where they may, and we'll see you all again next week. Seize the GM is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 4.0 International License. All copyrighted materials referenced herein are held by their respective owners. No infringement intended, and no claim of ownership is implied. The music for the show is Dreaming Spirit 
off the album Ghost Machine by the Enigma TNG. His music is released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0, unported license.